Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. ABMP is proud to sponsor the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. ABMP membership gives massage therapists and body workers exceptional liability insurance, numerous discounts, and great resources to help you thrive. Like their ABMP podcast, available at abmp.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen. And even if you're not a member, you can get free access to Massage and Body Work magazine, where Whitney and I, Toluca, are frequent contributors and special offers for thinking practitioner listeners. You can get all that at abmp.com slash thinking. Whitney, by the way, is not with us this episode, but he'll be back next episode. I have a special guest today, Marcella Otalora. You are, and please correct me if I didn't say your name right, but Marcella, you are a principal investigator in a very promising FDA-approved study into MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD. You gave a recent Ted Cornell talk and have been interviewed on Tim Ferriss's podcast about the study and about yourself. And since I know you, Personally, I want to talk to you some about trauma, about this interesting study that you're the principal investigator on, and about how what you're learning and all that might have some implications to the body and to what we do as body workers. So welcome, Marcela. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to be here with you. Is there anything else you want listeners to know about you before we get into the conversation? Let's see. I um, I have. I'm also a trainer for uh, therapists and other practitioners who want to do this work, and a supervisor. And uh, for the sites in the U.S. and also in Europe. Now we have a few sites, uh, Facebook sites in in Europe, which is really really exciting. Yeah. And um, yeah. Great. So I mentioned to a friend that I was going to be talking to someone about trauma and the body. And he, he said, okay, so you're a body worker. How often do you see trauma in your practice? Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. So I had to stop. I almost said every session. Yeah. I almost said it's not, at least the effects of trauma are clear in every session. There's so many ways that we're learning that trauma affects so many things including, um, you know, our body, body symptoms, but also the way we are in the world, the way we are with ourselves. So, but I'm curious, you're a, a psychotherapist uh, versus a body worker, but what what is trauma in your view? How would you yeah. define trauma? You know, that's an interesting question that people asked you, because if you think, if you look at so many of the books that are about trauma, hmm have the have the um have the word body in them so it's the body keeps the score the body remembers you know uh, so vessel van der kolk etc yes yes and so and so it's how uh, to really understand that we cannot separate them that the reason why you see it in every session that you do is because that is where it's stored right and we all have trauma and different degrees 
and it is stored in the body and then can be activated through the body. So, but the body is the one that actually does remember it. And sometimes the mind um, can really use a whole bunch of tricks and coping strategies to be able to live and to be able to function in life. But it is always there stored in the body. So, um, so when I think about trauma, I think about if you, if you look at it in the spectrum of um, the work that we do is with PTSD and not all trauma turns into PTSD, but that's, yeah. yeah, So that's sort of at the, at the spectrum of, of, how trauma can really affect you in a way that you don't live your life um, the way you want to live your life. And if I'm thinking about that trauma with a capital T is about losing, losing the, I think one of the biggest effects of it is, um, or um, I would say uh, influences is that, you lose the present moment. Hmm. You know, if you think about people's like perspective, we have a perspective. We always talk about, oh, I have this perspective and I have that perspective, but perspective mm-hmm. is, is a function of experience. And if you don't have experience that is current, you don't have perspective. Hmm. Hmm. So I think of trauma as losing a sense of perspective yeah which has the implications of not really understanding what's going on in the present moment we only understand things from the perspective of the trauma you not, know not understanding and perhaps not even being able to sense or like yes. you said be in touch with the present moment yeah so i think that's the biggest implication of trauma is that that um, that we're that we're not in the present moment, which means we're not living currently. Yeah, and okay, so trauma is that's one of the effects of traumas that may make it harder for us to be living, to be in the present moment, or to be connect to have a sense of perspective. So just connecting the dots back to body work for a second for myself. So much of what we're learning about people's uh, recovery, say, from an injury or chronic symptom has to do with their perspective on it, you could say. And so much of the mechanisms that we're understanding about how body work does the good it does are through uh, leveraging present experience. Actually, the power of sensation and being able to open to one's bodily experience and to have some perspective on that is one of the fundamental mechanisms we're learning about in terms of the way this work does its good. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. a lot of things. Yeah, so then you're involved in MDMA therapy or MDMA uh, study. How does what's what's special about MDMA, or how does MDMA help with trauma? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, um, part of it is that we have more with psychedelics in therapy, if we have a combination between psychedelics and psychotherapy, which is what we do, MDMA-assisted therapy, um, it gives you then added information so that 
we normally say, okay, this is where I get my information from, from the, the ways we live, the ways we, our, our environment affects us, all these different ways that we get information about who we are and how we want to be in life and our behavior. And so I think psychedelics provides another layer, which is getting information from a non-ordinary state that if we think about, you know, I studied transpersonal psychology. And if I think about transpersonal psychology, one of the things that one of the key points that I got from that was that we usually have an experience of life as being that our states are waking, sleeping, dreaming, intoxication, that that's it. Those are our states. (laughs) And getting body work. (laughs) Right. And so then, and then if you go, okay, there are so many more, so much information that we can get. We can get information from getting body work, which is really a non-ordinary state. It really takes a person into a non-ordinary state because then you're, you're getting information from a part of yourself that you didn't have access to before. Ah. All right. So MDMA helps us, helps people who take it in your study, access a non-ordinary state. I realize we should back up a little bit and say what MDMA is. You mean to tell me it's a psychedelic? (laughs) Yes. So MDMA is a psychedelic. It's considered a psychedelic. Um, It's not a hallucinogen. Okay. So it doesn't, I mean, even though people can have some images and, and hallucinations with it, it generally is not. Um, and the part that MDMA does to the brain, so what we, so that what the neuroscientists have discovered of why yeah. it helps is that it reduces the activation in the amygdala, ah. specifically in the left amygdala. So we have two on e- one on either side. And what that means is that that is how we process and uh, fear. So mm-hmm. if you have a reduction of fear and you, and you actually have activation in your prefrontal cortex, it means that you're able to make connections and insights and that is very heightened and aware, but your your fear response is reduced, which is really the opposite of what it happens when you have a traumatic event. Your amygdala is activated and your prefrontal cortex, it's deactivated. So MDMA kind of does the reverse and allows you to then see the same information, the same traumatic information from that different point of view, right? From the reverse. And um, what that does is that somebody, usually PTSD, people with PTSD often can only get to a certain point because of fear. So fear takes over, and I can no longer go past this point. And it's said to re- shut, say you shuts down your prefrontal cortex. That prefrontal cortex being the place where you maybe get a big part of your perspective. It's executive functioning. It's yes, is a lot of cognition comes from that place. So you're saying that in a in trauma that essentially the amygdala takes over and doesn't yeah. let you access that. Right, and so then if you have access to that and you don't, and your fear is not stopping you, then you have much more, uh, there's much more capacity to be able to explore and to be able to understand your trauma from a different perspective. 
right? So it's the same trauma, the same events, but now I can, now I'm, I'm fully aware of what is happening. Um, and if you think about also like conditioning, right? So our conditioning, all of our conditioning narrows awareness and especially conditioning because of trauma can really narrow our awareness. So if MDMA opens that door, then there's an expansion of awareness as opposed to a narrowing of awareness. And mm. that is mostly how MDMA works. Okay. I mean, so, it's but, sort but, of like very simplified. But <laughs> no, that's great. It's very clear. But just to play devil's advocate for a second, if it helps me be more aware of my trauma, isn't that like going to be upsetting? Isn't it better just to kind of leave those things aside? Well, you know, the way we started this is that you can leave them aside, but they're in your body. Uh, and then they get activated Yeah. by different triggers, by different things, some, uh, some of which we are aware of, right? Like mm. we, we can be aware of that. I know that because this event happened at this particular place, when I go to that particular place, I get triggered. So I am aware of that. But other ones I'm not so aware of. And you can be in a party having a good time and all of a sudden something happens and you're triggered and your body responds. So yeah. even if you put it in the back of your mind, even if you, um, if you condition yourself to mm. not go there, it's too scary. I don't want to go there because of X, Y, and Z. Um, your body is still remembering it and your body is still going to get triggered by any kind of event that happens through your senses. So it could be a smell, it could be a sound, it could be the sound of somebody's voice, it can be what somebody said, it can be what you saw. So so you can't get away from it, really. And one of the important things you said was if the amygdala then kicks in, and you're essentially being a threat detector, says that this situation is threatening, that is a very different experience than if the amygdala lets your prefrontal cortex have its perspective on the situation right. right because it's still i mean you still feel the fear you can still feel the fear but if you have the awareness that it's actually not something that is happening now that the threat is not happening now then yeah. how then we can respond differently because you also have a part of yourself that is a witness of the present moment experience oh this is actually not a threatening situation but my body is remembering in that way Great. Okay. So people, another thing people say, let's say a psychedelic experience can make um, connecting with other people, I guess, as well as ourselves, but connecting with other people less threatening that uh, interestingly, and this is like an aside, maybe in some of the same ways that touch does make connecting with other people's less threatening. Uh, like, I was listening to Joe Rogan interviewing Rick Doblin, who is the, what's his, does he have an official title in MAPS? Well, he is the director. He's the director. <laughs> okay. So Joe Rogan, this kind of big, burly uh, martial arts guy is saying, you know, on that, in that state, you can hold hands with someone and just tell them the truth, just talk to them. So it's like there's a sense of that state of the MDMA experience, apparently, 
making it easier to connect with other people and connect with ourselves. So how that, that got my interest, by the way, because of this possible connection to the way that body work uh, induces a an affiliation response or oxytocin changes, all those kind of things. Yeah. How does that work with uh, MDMA therapy? What happens in the brain, say, around mm-hmm. affiliation? Do you think? Well, I think one of the one of the things that is released in MDMA is oxytocin, yeah. and oxytocin is um, about bonding mm. and about really connecting with somebody. So, if you realize um, that the oxytocin, what the oxytocin is allowing you to have is sort of getting rid of some of the filters that we have around um, sharing with another human being, all the filters that come in. And that includes, in a big sense, touch, right? And that we as human beings uh, crave touch. And I think about one of my mentors, uh, Bill Richards, who I always remember him saying, don't forget that there is such a thing as good touch. Mm. You know, when people talk a lot about all the boundaries we need to have and how careful we need to be, which is absolutely true. Um, and the ethical pieces around it, but don't forget that there is such a thing as good touch. And and that in touch, as clinicians, for instance, as a as an MDMA therapist for myself, mm-hmm. is the responsibility that comes with that touch. That as I am really uh, touching someone's hand, I am, they are sensing me and they are sensing the connection. So what is it that I want to give in that energetic um, connection? What is it that I want to transmit uh, that is about that moment and about that person? Uh, because then you don't know, you, you don't have the filters that come in between when you're not touching. So touch is an important piece and it's also a huge responsibility for us doing the touching as a clinician. You know, how, how and I'm sure like it's the same for you, right? Oh, yeah. You're putting, you're putting yourself in there. All of a sudden, we are connected. And what is it that I am giving you through this touch? Yeah. And what is it that I am just simply holding? I mean, yes. never mind. Sometimes there's, there's definitely giving and receiving going on, but it's also how is my touch just a presence that lets my client feel themselves? Yeah. Never mind what I'm doing to them, but what about that state that happens when I touch someone and just pause or or they open and relax and calm down enough to feel their own body? Yeah. How does my touch actually play a part in in that experience for them? Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful experience, right? When we when we feel somebody else give into, like you know, we do probably the most that we do. The the one that comes up the most is holding someone's hand, and and so many times they begin to, you know, one of the things that we tell people when we train therapists, we say when you hold somebody's hand, hold it in a way that they can release whenever they want to, right? So that I'm not I'm not the one holding their hand so tightly or in such a way that they can't release it. So allowing them to have that choice of when they release and um, how beautiful that experience is of when they really just fall into, fall into your hand 
and hold it there until they're ready to let go. That's great. So you yeah. so tell me some more about uh, MDMA therapy. What's it? What's it like? So I'm getting the picture. You're there with someone who's uh, taken MDMA, and you're holding their hand. That's what I got so far. Um, well, um, let me put it this way. Let me back it up a little bit. How is what you do in your study different than just taking MDMA? Okay. So what we do is having two therapists that are with the participants. So you have two people there that are dedicated to them for eight hours and saying, I am here for you for this eight hours. And being able to hold that container, you know, you were talking about holding, right? What is it that I'm holding? I'm holding everything that is happening in this moment and that is coming up and trusting our modality. And, you know, there are different people that have different modalities about how to do this work. But for us, it is fully having a trust in the inner healing intelligence of the participant in front of us. And that really means that we believe that they have the capacity to heal whatever comes up for them and that we're there then to support, to support that process. We're not there as the expert of what needs to happen. We're there as the person holding that container, providing feedback, providing, oh, like you making connections. You said this, then I'm wondering how does that fit into this new thing that you're saying. So we don't bring up issues, they bring it up and and then we take those and sort through them. I was kind of telling the other day to somebody about how it feels a little bit like I'm following my participant, I'm following my participant and I'm picking up all the pieces that they're dropping on the way, gathering all the pieces in my containers so that I can then presented to them as this is the whole of this is like a bowl full of all the things that you brought up and let's sort through them and let's see how it fits in your how it's fitting in your body and how you're thinking about them so um so there is a um a reciprocal peace happening and there is a give and take and a relationship that is developed between the therapist and the participant, and something that's happening in between the three. If you think about a triangle, what is happening in the middle of that triangle, right? What What is really coming into play um, from this experience of somebody being in a non-ordinary state? Gotcha. So, yeah, this I'm getting the picture of how intensive it is. You say eight hours, two therapists. And uh, it I, it goes on over time, doesn't it? It's not just once and you're done. No. So we do three preparatory sessions and then an eight-hour session, um, DMA yeah. session, and then we do three integrative sessions and we repeat that three times. So our protocol is they get medicine three times and they get about 42 hours of therapy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it is about... What, it, what happened in that session? How do you begin to, um, how does it begin to fit 
into one, your identity and how you think about yourself. And I think part of it is connecting to a more authentic self, like more essence before conditioning. Who, who am I before, uh, maybe before the trauma took place? Who, who was I then? How did I come into the world with what did I come into the world? And so beginning to connect to those pieces is about then how does that fit with the identity that I had of myself and who I thought I needed to be in the world, um, oftentimes to protect myself and protect um, others from my trauma. So you're describing something really different than just a PTSD pill, right? Take a, a, a drug and it has an effect on my PTSD, maybe it does something in my brain and that's it. You're describing a process where people really get perspectives on themselves and their history and their reactions. Yes. And that you can really relate it to um, begin to sort, oh, I had this identity that I thought was me. And now I'm realizing that, that maybe that's not completely true. Maybe there's some truth to that, but it's not completely true because I was affected by all these different uh, but traumas, basically. And so, I mean, a common one is um, people with PTSD tend to make their world very small to protect and to be able to cope. And for some people, they think, wow, I always thought I was an introvert, but maybe I'm not such an introvert. Maybe this happened because of the trauma, but maybe I need more connection than what I'm getting, right? And so then how do they begin how do they begin to move into the world through that connection? And I think integration is such a huge piece of, it's just as important as the medicine session because I think it's, it, it, I think it's in a way, it, it's about being responsible for our experience okay. of what's going to happen. Yeah. This is big. I want to take out my mental highlighter here. You said integration is really ex- important because it's about being it's about being with our experience and living it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean when you say integration? How does that? What shape does that take? Say in your study. Mm-hmm. So we um, our first integration session happens the day after the eight hour session, the eight yeah. hour medicine session. Um, and for anybody who has done psychedelics, and I think for almost anybody who has done psychedelics, they do feel like there's a, the change that happens in that non-ordinary state. Coming back from that non-ordinary state, it's a process. We come down from the medicine. We say, oh, we're back. We're not feeling the effects of the medicine anymore. But it takes another while for that to close up, that non-ordinary state to close up. And I just to- got to, sorry, I just got to say right now, uh, it makes me think about getting up off the table after an amazing bodywork session, by the way. Yes. I just had this incredible experience on the table, and now I got to get up and go back to my life. How do I stay connected to this? How do I stay connected to this? And I mean, you know, I had one time a bodywork experience where, it was actually rolling and I left, I left 
feeling like, okay, I'm done. And this feels good. Like I don't have the pain that I was having before. And then I got to the corner of the street and I had no idea where I was. I felt like, what am I doing here? Where do I go? And there was a bench there and I sat down and I went, oh, you know, there is a reverence. We need to take this. This is not just, okay, now it's done. I run, I go to work. I, yeah. when, when is my next client? What do I do now? Which I think it's really important in body work. And it's mm. really important with MDMA uh, assisted therapy that we tell people the next day after your session is also a day where you take off, where you don't have somewhere to go, where you don't have some big experience that is taking place. Mm. Because people say, oh, I can come to the integrative session and then go back to work. It's like, how about if you take that day off, right? Can and I do it while I'm driving? Can I just phone in and just like get that exactly. done while I'm driving? Yeah. And you know, and I, and I think that happens a lot. Like I've had so many clients tell me, well, I went and got a massage and it was great, but then I had to go back to work and my boss was yelling at me and there goes the massage. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're saying there's a reverence there because that, that, almost that kind of disorientation that you described, that can be an amazing moment of disrupting the old and lots new as being possible, or it could be really disorienting and freaky. Yes. And it was more like, okay, sit here, really take in what just happened to your body. Yeah. yeah. And how do, how do I, how do I connect to that? How do I connect to that? And I think that's part of integration and what I mean by we're responsible for our experience. We become responsible. This is really a key thing. So I'm wondering, what else are you learning about that? Because you're building it into your protocol. You're doing integration sessions where people actively reflect and you help them connect the dots around their experience with the drug and after the drug. But what are some principles or ideas there or thoughts that we might be able to apply universally? Any ideas? In terms of integration? Yeah. How does integration happen? What do we need to keep in mind? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, one of it is that that integration needs a space. That if you don't give it space, it becomes what I call an experience that is sort of like a, a trophy on the wall. I had the experience, it was beautiful. I look at it sometimes on the wall. It was so sweet, whatever. It was challenging, it was this, it was that. Yes. And nothing. And it's very disconnected from your life. And so I think it's about, integration is about, whether it's body work, whether it's uh, a psychedelic experience, a therapeutic experience. It's about giving it, what it deserves, right? Giving yes. it the space that it deserves, being able to be mindful, present, what just happened, how do I, um, what is what is different in the way that I'm seeing something? You know, I I think it's sort of, um, I've, I've talked, of, I've said this experience before, but I, we had a participant who always felt like, he wasn't seen, part of his trauma was that he wasn't seen by others. And he felt that even that that happened to him as a child and that continued to happen to him 
as an adult and people just didn't see him mm-hmm. and that he was always kind of ignored and people didn't even say hello. And, mm-hmm. and what, what happened to him a few days after his, his uh, treatment session with MDMA was that he was at the grocery store and he had this interaction with the, the checkout person. And, and she said, how are you? And she looked into his eyes and he just said, I'm okay. And she smiled and said, oh, you know, have a beautiful day. And he said, what happened? Why did she see me? Why did she see me? And he realized it was because he had never looked up. Oh. Yeah. He, when he went through the checkout lane, he was looking down. He never looked up to see how somebody was re- reflecting that to him. Something as simple as that. That's and him articulating that, yeah, it, articulating that to himself, naming that for himself, helped him connect with that and understand. And like, it. what an integration piece, right? Like, yeah. it's about my. I just need to look up uh, and begin uh, to see how people um, reflect and mirror what I'm, what I'm looking at, right? But he was just looking down at his feet, so, so. Yes. That's, I think, you know, it's an, a good example of integration that if we give it the space that it deserves, we begin to un, we begin to see the changes that we ourselves are making. Give it the space it deserves. That's that's a uh, a lesson we can really apply to our work as practitioners, helping people articulate what's different. Sometimes it's just a word or a phrase or a metaphor, or an image. Sometimes can be really useful, and then yeah. probably. Probably, I'm just thinking about how both those processes go on for some time, too. It's not just right there when someone stands up from the table and walks out the room, but an invitation, I think about this a lot, an invitation to to note to oneself what is different and, again, to anchor it with a word or a thought or an image. It can be really useful. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, one of the most useful pieces that I've seen um, in a session is when somebody's having an experience that is very unique and beautiful, maybe a relaxation that they have never experienced in their life before. And sometimes it is about a touch, like how, how do you connect to this experience? How will you remember this experience? And sometimes people will say, Oh, like if I put my hand on my shoulder, when I put my hand on my shoulder, I'm going to remember this relaxation and it's mm-hmm. amazing how that does connect you back mm-hmm. right? it connects you back to the experience of that moment if you practice it in that moment and say this is the way i'm going to remember it that's really the beauty of your body yeah and it can be simple i mean i'm just thinking you're a you're a obviously very skilled therapist and you're working in tandem in a formal study but I'm just thinking for back in our context of in the, in the practice of the body work room, it can be really simple. It can just be a moment. It can be inviting someone to slow down or feel or, or bring in some awareness. Yes. Yes. What is the space that I'm feeling here where I didn't feel it before, for instance? You know, there's a little space in here that is yeah. precious, that is precious. How do I hold on to that? How do I remember that? Yeah. Okay, so just a couple more wonderings about the study. What's what's the question that you think the study is is trying to investigate or find answers to? Um, that's a good question. 
can we gather our fragmented parts? Yeah. Can can we become whole where there's fragmentation that has taken place? You know, I think about a lot of indigenous cultures have a belief that when some a trauma happens, it's like a big crash that fragments the soul uh-huh, and fragments uh-huh. the person into these pieces and that our job is to then gather those pieces back and find them and bring them back to its original soul. I don't think it's very different than that, what we're doing, which is there are so many parts that got fragmented so that we could function in the world in whichever way, function or not function, regardless with trauma is about definitely not functioning the way we want to and we Mm. think we could be. And what happens when we gather those and treat them with compassion and respect for all that they've done for us and then understand also the gifts that they have underneath that wounding. What are the gifts that are there that we also pushed away? Because when we push away one part, we push away all parts of that, of that experience. Mm-hmm. So it's about um, wholeness, I think. Mm. And so, okay, so the study is investigating that through the tool of MDMA-assisted therapy. What are you finding out? Is that possible? Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of like my version of what we're experiencing. If you think about the study, it's like we're safety and efficacy, right? Yes. <laughs> it's like okay. that's what we're investigating, safety and efficacy. And we continue to investigate safety. Of course, we have um, a long – we're always doing that, right? We're always finding out what is, this, what is safe and how do we keep people safe. And fortunately, in all our studies, we have never, um, it's always been, there's always been safety. We have never had to take anybody to the hospital or anything like that. Um, so there's a lot of safety measures in place. Well, um, I should, I mean, since you're talking about that, I should also mention, uh, is this legal, by the way? It's, it's legal in a, in a study session, in a study setting. See, MDMA is illegal in the U.S. It is illegal. So we're everywhere. We're, we should we everywhere? Okay. So we should be sure we mention that. It's like we're not saying. I'm not saying uh, go try MDMA. Go try this at home and uh, defragment yourself. Right. <laughs> right. And you know, people have done a lot of work on their own, and um, and there's a lot of very very good underground work that happens, and that we've had in that we definitely have been informed and have a lot to thank underground therapists. But no, MDMA is not legal, except in a study setting. And hopefully, I mean, we're in the last phase, we're in phase three. And after this last study is completed, which we're doing right now, then we will apply to the FDA for MDMA to become a, um, a prescription medication in yeah. combination with therapy for the treatment of PTSD and probably other conditions. And this is a double-blind, placebo-controlled clinical trial, randomized. Yes. It's the whole deal. And you are getting results 
from what I hear, that are good enough that you keep going? Very good results. So if you think about people who, um, you know, I mean, a number like 67% of people in the study in the last phase three study no longer meet criteria for PTSD after the study. And so this is incredible. Something like 80% show some improvement. And and show a lot, actually a lot of improvement that people feel, I still meet criteria for PTSD, but they have a a very high reduction on their symptoms, even though they still feel it. So um, it's not for everyone. And for some people, it's not going to feel that way. And it's it's not going to work, right? If you think about, Mm -hmm. even if you say 80%, well, there's still 20% that are not Mm -hmm. feeling that and are not getting that. So it's really not for everybody, but it at least, when uh, when we get approval, then it will be for the people that it can be another tool, another modality for people who want to access it that way. And if you think about the existing modalities that are used for to treat PTSD, it's the reverse that they have thirty percent, like thirty percent that that can get some have improvement. Improvement, yeah, That's yeah. Right. No, as I understand it, the, your results have been uh, really dramatic, really impressive, and you've been fast-tracked in a number of ways, number of times to continue your work, and it's been applied to veterans and to wide-ranging populations across the spectrum, and you're getting results that are getting a lot of interest and a lot of support yes, from both within and, and, without, and outside of the mainstream. Like you said, you're building on the knowledge, perhaps, that was accumulated from underground work for decades. But yeah. you are, you're bringing this into a pharmaceutical uh, administration supported by therapy that's showing really promising results. What's, what's next for the study? So there will always be more studies because then now it's more about other conditions, right? Like we've done one with uh, anxiety due to life-threatening illness, hmm. anxiety in autism, um, and we're going to do one with eating disorders coming up. Um, so I'll, there's always there's there's always an opportunity to do more studies for different conditions and seeing how. Um, maybe how it, how the protocol needs to be modified, right? In not only for different conditions, but also in different populations. So that if you live in a in a country that sees trauma differently, but still it doesn't mean that they shouldn't have MDMA therapy. It just means how does it need to be modified so that it can actually fit their Mm. culture, right, to be culturally responsive to how, how do we modify it for different, for different populations? How do we modify it for different conditions? So I think that will continue. Mm. And, and then the hope is that after approval, which we're thinking 2023 is like our, our date that we keep holding on to, um, that we'll see clinics clinics around the world, around the U.S., where people can go and get this treatment from people who have been trained um, to do this work. Um, that's the hope. That's, at least that's 
I'm waiting for my clinic. (laughs) That's right. That's fantastic. In the meantime, there's a lot of us watching with open eyes and listening with open ears because there's so much to learn, I think, about trauma, about experience, about presence, and all these things that you've mentioned today. Is there anything else you want to say or leave us with as we wrap up? Let's see. I don't think it's a cure. I Uh, don't believe in... um, that it's about a cure because of what we started talking about, which is your body will always remember. Your body will always remember. And that's actually a gift to know that it's part of your um, makeup and your identity. And it's how it's more about alleviating suffering uh, and symptoms, but really mm. honoring your body, honoring your body for all it's done. and. Um, and hopefully be able to, to do both, right? Like imagine having an MDMA session and then getting body work (laughs) a few days later to continue that integration. So it's about really more like a holistic approach. That's, that's a vision that I have. That's fantastic. Well, and so many connections could say to our practice as well, even all these little ways we've mentioned. And this, and then remembering that it's not necessarily a cure, that part of sometimes the healing is a different relationship to our history, to our traumas. Yes. And our last episode was uh, on scars, and the same thing applied there too. It's not about erasing the scar like it was nothing ever happened. It's about having a different sense of adaptability mm. and sensation yes. on the scar. Yes. Yeah. A different Sorry. relationship to it. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, thank you, Marcela. How how can people yeah how can people find out more? We'll put links to, I think if it's okay with you, to uh, some of the different things we've mentioned. But what do you want to flag here at the end as how mm-hmm. people could find out more if they want to? So maps.org, mm-hmm. um, PTSD, MDMA org or is it MDMA PTSD? I have dyslexia and I don't know which which one it is. Which, we'll, but, look, we'll look it up and put it in the show notes for sure. Yes, but maps.org and then um, lots of information there about all our studies and also about uh, applying if you want to apply to a study as a participant or if you want to apply as a clinician and want to be trained. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again. Thank you. I, our closing sponsor today is Handspring Publishing. And when I was looking for a publisher for the book that I wanted to write, I was lucky enough to end up with two offers, one from a large international media conglomerate, the other from Handspring, a small publisher in Scotland run by four great people who love great books and who love our field. To this day, I'm glad I chose to go with them, with Handspring. It's not only did they help me write the books I wanted to share with you, but they uh, their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Stop by our sites for uh, show notes, transcripts, and extras. Whitney will be back next episode. You can find the transcript of this episode and others on his site at academyofclinicalmassage.com or on my site, advanced-trainings.com. Email us if there are questions 
uh, you have or things you want to hear us talk about, the email to reach both of us is info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media just under our names, Tiluka or Whitney Lowe. Follow us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen, and please tell a friend. Thanks, everybody.